This is a great week. Middle school camp this week, over 50. Kids are going. Can we uh, agree to pray for middle school camp this week? And can we also thank, there's 20 leaders who are devoting their week, building relationships, having fun. Can we give it up to the whole team that's going? Exciting what God is doing throughout this summer, and camps are a big part of that. We've seen that with Grace Kids, the high school camp, now middle school, and we love the next generation here at Grace. We want to serve them well together. We are in a series right now in the book of Revelation. You can find it on your phone, or if you brought a Bible, if you ever need a Bible, let us know. We love to get into God's Word, and today, this is in Revelation chapter 2, as Jesus is talking to the church in Thyatira, and the message is overcoming Jezebel. This is going to be Jesus versus Jezebel. Are you ready for that? I haven't preached on Jezebel very often in ministry. This is a unique passage and it's rich. So we're going to dive in. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. Jesus, our eyes are on you and you are so worthy. We just love hearing from you, uh, being close to you, living for you. You bring living water. You're our hope. God, you're the lifter of our head. Our confidence is in you, Jesus. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you are so faithful. We are walking in your faithfulness today. And guide us, Lord, as we grow in our faith together. And we pray in your name, amen. Jesus is always full of love and full of truth. It's a both and. He's fully committed to both love and truth. When you get close to Jesus, you're going to receive truth and you're going to receive love. Jesus is more committed to your growth than you are. He's more committed to my spiritual growth than I am. And we see in these seven letters to the seven churches, they're not only words, they're the heart of the Savior. And when Jesus communicates, his words and truth always align with his heart and his words are powerful. When you're communicating to other people, Make sure it's both your mind and your heart. Make sure you're lined up with heaven. Don't get into gossip and slander and all the ways you could use your mouth for destruction. But use your mouth in love and truth like Jesus does here. It takes courage, love instead of bitterness, truth instead of watering it down. Jesus brings that to the seven churches. He brings that to us today. And we can trust him. We want to listen to him throughout this book of Revelation. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, tune out the strangers' voices, tune out the noisy culture, tune out the rants and all our own opinions, and focus in on Jesus. And let the good shepherd talk to you and build up your life and your soul, redirect you where you're going off. And this is a church, Thyatira, that could easily be overlooked. They were in a smaller city. We've already looked at places like Ephesus and Pergamum, which were bigger cities on the coast, a little more sophisticated. When we move to Thyatira, this is a small town. It's a little more blue collar. There's a lot of manufacturing. There's different businesses, leather, clothes, bronze, pottery. There's a lot of people rolling up their sleeves, working in Thyatira. And Jesus is going to talk to them about their spiritual condition and how the church is doing. This is Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. That's our resurrected Savior. Eyes like blazing fire. Verse 20, he's communicating to the church now. Nevertheless, I have this against you. 
You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of the food that sacrificed to idols. Now, this name Jezebel is significant in the Bible. Here we have a Jezebel in Thyatira, this woman. Also, Jesus is going to talk about her children, other people who are deceived, other people who are duped, who are tricked and manipulated by her, and they're following her instead of following Jesus. There's Jezebel in the New Testament in Thyatira. There's also Jezebel in the Old Testament. And we're going to take a look at several of those passages in 1 Kings. Old Testament, New Testament, and then all of her kids, all of those who are following her ways and her teaching, and really you have a culture in Thyatira that's carrying a spirit of Jezebel. We have a culture today that so often is carrying on the unhealthy traditions of Jezebel in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and we really want to take this time to unpack and see clearly what exactly is Jezebel doing. Jezebel has schemes. Jezebel is misleading people. And many people are listening to her instead of Jesus. This is Jesus versus Jezebel. Let's uncover four things that Jezebel tries to do. And the same things that were happening then, there's the parallels in our culture today. Here's the first one. Jezebel wants to seduce you until you are her slave. That's Jezebel's MO. As we take a look in verse 21 and the seduction that she brings... Jesus says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. I have, uh, in addition to giving her time, I will cast her now on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds." Jesus doesn't mince words, and he brings the truth because he loves. When you love, you warn. When you love, you rescue. When people are being deceived, you bring truth. And there's a three-piece pattern here that you need to notice. The first one is to tolerate Jezebel. You say, all right, that's fine if Jezebel teaches and sticks around, and you start to tolerate. The next level is to participate. What Jezebel is promoting in this immorality, the sexual immorality, and this idolatry, now I'm not only tolerating it and saying that's fine, but now I'm starting to dabble and go a little deeper into it. And then the third part is when you're captivated and you're literally, you're captive because sin wants to master you. And these people who are following Jesus start out saying, that's fine to some Jezebel. I think I'm going to try a little Jezebel. I think Jezebel's got me, and now sin has a stronghold in my life, and that's the progression that's happening. That's why Jesus steps in, because he wants to see people set free. Jezebel is someone who is a so-called prophetess. She's in the church. Jesus said that there are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. She is a self-proclaimed prophetess. People are walking around these days saying, I'm this, I'm that, I'm so spiritual. Well, she had a position as well and a title and influence, but ultimately she was against God's work. And many people were being duped and they didn't notice her agenda and they didn't notice how many people are getting pulled away from God. They were hoodwinked as she was seen as someone who's so deep, 
someone who's so insightful. And there's spiritual teachers today that have a lot of followers on the internet and they say, ooh, that's so insightful. Well, does it line up with God's word? Because if it's against Jesus, I don't want it. I don't care how many followers they have. If it doesn't line up with Jesus, no thank you. Well, this was going on in Thyatira. John Bevere has this quote describing the reality of the church there. Jesus warns the church in Thyatira against tolerance which was leading them into immorality and idolatry. Our culture often confuses love and tolerance. The two couldn't be more different. Love seeks the other person's good. Tolerance seeks to be thought of as good in another person's eyes. Love comes from fearing God. Tolerance comes from fearing man. Nowhere in scripture is tolerance held up as a virtue. Just a reminder to anchor your values in God's word, not in a world's broken system. Jezebel misleads people in its tolerance. She brings her idols to the church and says, we need to tolerate sin. We need to tolerate immorality and idolatry. Let's tolerate that together. But I'll tell you, nowhere in the Bible does it say tolerate sin. Sin's no big deal. Just go ahead and embrace that. Here's where the irony kicks in and people twist tolerance. They come saying tolerance, tolerance, which sounds so benevolent. Would you agree that when you hear the word tolerance, it sounds kind of benevolent? Like, okay, yeah, sure. We should just say yes to everything, tolerance. Well, the people who proclaim tolerance are oftentimes the least tolerant. And their agenda is actually, if you don't agree with them, they're going to assume that your motives are, are hate and fear. And if you don't agree with them, they will punish you. So they come in saying tolerance, and it's against the Bible, it's against Jesus. They say you got to embrace it, and then it gets cranked up in the pressure. And if you don't embrace it, actually we're going to oppose you, take you down, and we're going to punish you for not fully applauding for what we're bringing to you that it's against the Bible. Are, are you catching that? And you could pick 12 different topics today. You could pick 12 topics and it's the same thing Jezebel was doing then and it's the same thing in our culture today. Love is not accepting sin. That's not loving. Love and truth go together. Jesus always brings love and truth. Jezebel in her background, she is pagan and she worships idols. She's a Philistine. She is the daughter of the king of Tyre and Sidon. A king's daughter, very influential. And she is going to deceive and trick, starting with her husband spiritually, and then the impact she has on a nation. And as she does that, people are going to pull away from God and they're going to worship Baal. Because she worships a false god, Baal, and she introduces that in a wider area in Israel, and more and more people reject God and say, let's go for Baal. Now, down to her final days, this is 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 30, Jehu is going to show up, and it's a day of accounting, it's a day of accountability, Jehu's going to put an end to what's going on. Jehu went to Jezreel, that's where Jezebel was. When Jezebel heard about it, she put on eye makeup, arranged her hair, and looked out a window. I want to say, arranging your hair and eye makeup is not a sin, okay? <laughs> Don't, let's not twist the scripture on this. But what we're pointing out here is that just as she's going to be held accountable in Jehu's coming, 
she is going to try to seduce him. There, when you are under a test in life, and it's the most difficult times, and it's such a challenge for you, and you are going to be tested to your core, to who you are, your core will come out in those days. And whether you turn to God or you've got some idol, her idolatry is her manipulation, and she could take Jehu's heart, and with what she wears, maybe he'll turn his eyes away from God and truth and be seduced by her appearance as she's done to so many men. In that moment, it just reveals who she is to her final day. She won't change. She's a manipulator, and she'll use every trick that she can. Well, in a way, this is a foreshadowing, this Jehu and Jezebel and this confrontation, because at the end of the book of Revelation, we see a battle in Armageddon. It's called Armageddon. It's Megiddo. It's this valley in the middle of Israel. And this battle is going to include, as we covered last week, there's going to be the Antichrist, then we have the false prophet deceiving the nations of the world, coming together. Listen, I would love to tell you today that when Jesus comes back, the whole world is going to say, hallelujah, this is awesome. We've been waiting. We knew Jesus was the Savior. Let's go. I'd love to be able to preach that. It doesn't line up with the Bible. The Bible says opposition and darkness is going to increase. Deception is going to increase. Many are going to fall away. Many opposed to Jesus. And even though, and I'm so glad that there's going to be people from every nation, tongue, and tribe in heaven because God loves every person. God loves every culture and nation. In spite of God's love, many are going to reject Jesus, be against Jesus, and there's going to be a final showdown. And Jehu and Jezebel is kind of a foreshadowing of this final showdown that's coming. And God wants us to know. That's why he's written it in his word. He wants us to be prepared and spiritually ready to go. When the darkness floods in, we're going to shine the light. And in this passage right here, you see that she is going to try to seduce. There's a spirit of Jezebel that tries to seduce you away from God. Hold on to God. Don't be enticed. Well, here's the second thing that she does. She brings division like a wave. Division like a wave. In verse 24, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, Jesus is talking again to the church. He's saying the rest of you, those are the ones who aren't following Jezebel in the church. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. In the church in Thyatira, there were two groups. Some going with Jezebel, some going with Jesus. And the church experienced division because of the false teaching. Wherever there's false teaching, there's division. Wherever there's immorality, there's division. And there was division in Thyatira. Well, this goes back to an unwise alliance. King Ahab married Jezebel. Why did he marry Jezebel? Maybe there were many reasons, but here's one reason that was not wise. As the daughter of a nearby king, Jezebel represented that nation and all they had and a chance in foreign policy to build a bond. Now, if Tyre and Sidon were connected to Israel, in this is Ahab's thinking, the king, that would mean access to a port, more money, more commerce, more trade, more military power. There are so many perks to marrying Jezebel. 
And what a trap. If you've ever dated someone and you look inside, woo, there's all these perks. But what about that? And you kind of go, oh, forget that. Look at these perks. And you know what happened? She brought her idolatry. And when they married, his heart was devoted to God. He married someone who was against God. And his heart started to go away from God. And it wasn't just his heart, but she brought idolatry in the land. She set up Baal worship because she said tolerance. You can worship the God of the Bible. You can worship Baal. Let's tolerate everything. And in Samaria, the capital of Israel, she set up Baal worship. And the people were like, well, should we worship Baal or the God of the Bible? And more and more going to Baal. And her influence spread throughout the land, position as a queen. Now, there's a lot of incredible and inspiring women in the Bible. And some of those, look at Ruth and her loyalty. Look at Deborah and her leadership. Study the book of Esther and her courage. Study a lot of the women in the Bible who lead and live so well for God. This one, Jezebel, is the antithesis. And she's often known as the most wicked woman in the Bible. And you can see where she's leading the people, and it led to division. Throughout Israel's history, they are tempted just like we are. Should we trust God, or do we need to go a different direction than God? And there'd be many times where they would say, you know what, let's turn to Egypt instead of God. And all of us have that temptation. Well, instead of God's protection and provision, let's just do it our own way. And there was a big decision there. And it so often led to division, but God always had a remnant. Now, I want us to think through division for a second. Because in America, in the body of Christ, now I'm talking the church across the land, there's a lot of division right now. And I think it's important to note the difference between majors and minors. All right, there are some majors, and I want to give you an example of a major. A major in churches and denominations and Bible colleges, they're dividing on the majors. And one of the majors, is this the word of God, and is it fully reliable? And I'll tell you, for our church, 100%, absolutely. It's been that way for 70 years. It's not going to change. This is the word of God. We will die on that hill. We're not going to take it down, neglect it, water it down. Like, that's who we are. That's a major. That's a major. Here's another major. Do you get to heaven by being a good person and doing enough good? More than half of America thinks you do. Or do you get to heaven because it's grace in an undeserved gift. We are firmly committed. It is an undeserved gift and it's grace. For we've all sinned against God. We need forgiveness. Our forgiveness comes through Jesus. Here's another major. Is Jesus just a nice guy, good teacher, prophet, did a few miracles? Or is Jesus the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the resurrection and the life? He absolutely is. He absolutely is. Those are the majors of the faith. And I'll tell you, uh, as our statement of faith together, we are a church that majors on the majors. And if there's division that comes from the majors in the culture, we will stick with the majors and we will trust Jesus. Now, what about the minors? We're having difficulty in the body of Christ discerning the difference between a major and a minor these days. And we're taking minors and calling them majors. Let me give you an example. Who did you vote for? Don't say it, 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 don't say it. Is, I'm asking you, is that a major or a minor who you vote for? Thank you. This section's minor. This section's like, I'm pretty sure major, but I think he, 
I think he wants me to say minor, but I don't know if I'm willing to go there yet. Uh, let me tell you who you voted for the last election, the election before, the election before that. Those are all minors. Is it important who you vote for? Yes. It's important. It has a place. Are politics important? Yes, they are. Should you vote? Yes, you should. Should you know what's going on with the politicians? Yes, you should. Should you get out your Bible before you vote and check in the politicians and what they're standing for and line it up? Yes, you should. All those things. If you're called to politics, the Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. We're going to pray for you. That's a great thing. We need people shining the light in the political world. But I'll tell you, we're not going to divide our church over who voted for which person or that person. And, you know, you have to vote for this person to come here and this section voted for that and this person voted for the other person. You will not hear us bash political candidates up here. We'll talk about spiritual issues. We'll talk about moral issues. But we're not going to promote candidates uh, from this pulpit. So the body of Christ is dividing over minors in politics all the time right now divided harshly, mean to each other over this kind of stuff. Okay, how about another minor? Let's do this. Um, masks. Is that a major or a minor? I'm not getting many amens here. I'm meddling. I'm meddling. Is masks a major or a minor? Now, it's important. I'm going to tell you masks is a minor. If someone comes without a mask today or with a mask, you love them. You love them. You're no better than them because they have a mask or don't have a mask. You know, people these days in the body of Christ, they leave a church because it didn't perfectly align of when they thought mass should be, uh, the church should be reopened, if mass should be mandatory, if mass should be optional, masks in which room. I'll tell you, people left churches bad talking about other people, went out in a huff, you know, and, and ultimatums and everything over masks. And I just don't see masks as a major. I just don't see it. Now, do we have a room right now for a mask-only room? Yes, we do. That's our community room. And so if someone wants an, a mask-only room, we offer that. You know, we have a room for those who, mothers who need nursing. We, we have some different rooms because we're trying to accommodate the body of Christ. But when there's a spirit of, like, you're wrong, I look down upon you, I despise you because you take a different stance than me on when the church should reopen and, like, whether a mask should be on, do you see how tripped up we get? And then there's division. Then there's division. How about this? The pastor, what's his style of preaching? Well, he's too excited. He's too excited. Let's go find a different church. How, how about the worship? How about the worship? If you don't do one hymn this next week, I'm out of here. Excuse me, but a hymn song selection, is that a major or a minor? I know I'm meddling. The emails are just loading up. I can't wait to open my inbox after this message. This is going to be a fun one. But I've never seen so many ultimatums by the body of Christ in the last two years. And they're not majors, they're minors. If you don't do this and line up with my preference, then I'm out of here and this is the last time I'm going to tell you. Whoo, it comes in sizzling. And it just keeps coming and coming and coming. And I have to step back from that and say, methinks. We're elevating our personal preferences above the goodness of the body and the transformed lives. Well, if you don't do that hymn next, did you see that five people got saved this week and two got baptized? And there's a whole bunch, you know, you just start sharing things. Do you see how many joined life groups? Did you see who stepped up as a leader? If you don't do a hymn next week, oh, I get it. I can't, like I, you're not going to celebrate what God's doing because your personal preference is so 
elevated and you just issued the ultimatum that if you don't get your way in the next seven hours and, and the clock's ticking, you're gone. I get it. I get it. And, and I'm not saying that. Just, I'm saying that nationwide. I'm saying that nationwide. It is the attitude in the body of Christ. And Jezebel wants to sow division. She wants the body of Christ to be divided. And Jesus prayed his longest prayer that we would be united. You say, well, what's closest to Jesus' heart in the Bible? That we would guard this unity. You say, well, what do you do in the middle of all this chaos and division and mean words and infighting and all this stuff that's going on? Lydia, Acts chapter 16, great chapter to read this week. Lydia's from Thyatira. She's a businesswoman, purple dye. That's, that's her business. And she shows up, and it's this place of prayer. She's over in Philippi, and it says this in chapter 16, verse 14. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message, and when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Where did that church start? Thyatira? Lydia. What was Lydia's attitude? I am hungry for God. In the middle of the politics and the masks and everyone's personal requests, you just hold this. I am hungry for God and for my family to know God and for baptism and for our church to be built up because we need Jesus and we need his word. And Lydia starts it that way and here comes Jezebel and where's the church going to go? And I say, out of all that, look at her example. Guard the unity Grow in community and friendships and relationships. Grow in the word. Grow in your faith like Lydia. That's the DNA for Thyatira, not Jezebel. Now, the third thing Jezebel does, she wants to drive you into a cave. There's a couple passages in the Old Testament looking at Old Testament Jezebel and the caves. Look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 4, and this is what she's doing. Well, Jezebel was killing off, that's right, Killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water, rescue mission. Notice this. Jezebel has two sides. The first side is Baal worship. Everyone can choose what they want. Tolerance. Tolerate sin. It's no big deal. And she presents super nice tolerance. And when people don't line up with her, what does she do? Take them down. Kill them. And the Antichrist is the same way. Oh, we're just for peace. Peace in the Middle East. We can finally have it. The Antichrist, three and a half years, looks pretty reasonable, kind, intelligent. He's tall. It's like, here's the Antichrist. After three and a half years, what does he say? Bow down and worship me. Get the mark of the beast or else you're going down. There are two sides to the same coin. And it'll present, Jezebel knows how to present nice. And it just sounds so, it tickles the ears. And she knows how to undermine and take down the truth and take down anyone who will stand for truth. She's doing this passage. The prophets are being killed. Here's another way that she works with caves. 1 Kings 19, verses 2 and 3. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now, Elijah's an Old Testament prophet. Victory after victory. He was at Mount Carmel. He's victory. He's living for the Lord. He's taking a bold stand with courage. He's faithful to God. Lives are being changed. Victories. And what does Jezebel do? She sees that and says, you won't be alive tomorrow. I'm going to kill you next. And Elijah retreats. Elijah was afraid. That's reasonable. We're human. We get afraid of the culture. We get afraid of the intimidation. We get afraid of the consequences. Well, he was afraid. He ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. 
and went into a cave. Do you know how many followers of Jesus have just retreated into a cave these days? Oh, I get it. I don't want to rock the boat. Oh, you're upset. Okay, I know how to fit in. I know how to conform. I know how to, I'll just sit in a man cave. It'll just be a great man cave. And, and I'll just man cave it. That's it, man cave it. And God says, I don't want you in the man cave. You've got a calling on your life. You've got a purpose. You've been running with me. You are gifted. Elijah, I'm going to comfort you. And there's another season. You need to come out of that man cave. Well, it's too hard. It's too hard out there. There's people that aren't going to like my message. There's people who are just going to want to hurt me just because I'm following Jesus and standing for the truth. So I'm going to retreat to the cave. I'm just going to get silent. And I'm telling you, stand up, speak up, serve it up. Don't end up in a cave. You're called to so much more than a cave. Than a cave. I was talking to someone this week and been having conversations. This person doesn't trust Jesus yet, but is getting curious. And I gave them a Bible. We're having conversations. They're reading the Bible. And the question that came up this week, they said, what does it mean? Because they're starting to read Genesis and say, what does it mean that we're made in God's image? And I said, that's a great question. What does it mean that we're made in God's image? God made angels. God made humans. God made animals. And we are made in God's image. We're different than animals. Animals express the wonder and beauty and creativity of God in creation, and we're to take good care of animals. But it says in Scripture, we're different than animals. We're made in God's image. So what does that mean? You have a maker who loves you. You are not here by accident. In fact, God knit you together in your mother's womb, and you are like no one else. You are unique. There's no one just like you. And he wants to know you and walk with you, This maker brings a relationship. And in fact, when you walk with your maker, you're going to be all you're designed to be. And then as you live out that life, abiding with Jesus, people are going to see God in you. And that's actually your deepest purpose. It's not the job or the paycheck or the promotion. It's that every day when you walk up, you are abiding. When you wake up, you're abiding with God, closeness with God, and filled with his love and his truth and his kindness and his patience so that when people interact with you, they see Jesus. They say, this sounds like God. This kind of feels like God's working through you. And then ultimately, your goal is to bring glory to God, pointing back to the one who made you, who loves you, who you're walking with, and they see Jesus in you because Christ in you is the hope of glory. And this world is looking for hope right now. So don't shrink your vision and settle for less than that. Well, I'm just a janitor. Well, I'm just, you know, legal help. Well, I'm just a teacher. No, you are an ambassador. People see God in you. And whether you're a parent or you work at a workplace, grandparent, Jesus shines through you. You don't belong in a cave. You don't belong in fear. You don't belong in intimidation. You've turned off way too much for too long. You really have retreating, retreating, retreating. It's time for a different path because Jezebel tries to drive you into a cave. You say, no, I'm going to speak up, serve it up. I'm going to stand up. I know there's something better than that. Here's the last thing she does, manipulate you right into the grave. And the passage you can look at is 1 Kings 21. It's Naboth. Naboth is someone who doesn't have a lot, but he has a vineyard. His vineyard is next to the palace. Ahab, Jezebel, the king and queen. Ahab sees this vineyard and thinks to himself, I want that vineyard. That vineyard's close to my palace. I want that. And he goes to Naboth and says, Naboth, give me your vineyard. 
And Naboth has courage to stand up to the king and says, no, not giving it to you. It's my family's. It's been here for generations. It's all we have. And we're going to hold on to this. So the king pouts and he gets sullen. Oh, Naboth won't give me the vineyard. Jezebel notices, king, what's wrong? Naboth, he won't give me that vineyard I want. And so Jezebel steps in and says, king, we're going to get that. We're going to get that. And she frames Naboth for something he didn't do. She has the people find him guilty and killed and takes and manipulates. She wants to take whatever you have. And she manipulates it, takes it. Naboth is killed and she's acquired it. False report. They stoned him to death. She had him framed. What do we learn about Jezebel to wrap up? First of all, she wants you to entice you to be a slave to sin so that sin has a stronghold in your life. The second thing, she wants to bring waves of division so you don't have deep, healthy relationships in the body of Christ that are multicultural, multi-generational, so you don't go there, you just hold on to division. Then she wants to drive you back in fear and intimidation and silence into a cave where you don't answer your calling and you don't use your gifts and you don't change Auburn the way that you could. But instead you're in a cave And then she will try to manipulate you and take everything that you've got into you fulfilled with despair, ripped off, and you got to say, I'm taking it back in Jesus' name. What are we going to do? Here's the three applications. The first one, intentionally grow in your faith. In chapter 2, Jesus says this in verse 19. He says to the church, I know your deeds, your love, I know your faith, I know your service and your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Growing in your faith. Ask God this question. God, what do you want me to be all in for? What do you want me to be all in for in this culture in time. If you don't have a clear answer to that, take a day, take two days, fast, pray, turn on worship music, listen to God, open up the Bible. God, what do you want me to be all in for so that I can be growing in my faith? In six months, may we be so different with so much growth that's happened Say, well, what does that look like? That God's vision becomes clear and bigger in our life and our priorities. That our prayers look different and fervent. That we hunger for God, fasting, the influence and shining his light, the way we bless locally and globally, our relationships, the way we communicate, the way we listen, using our gifts. We want to grow. We want to grow. And so that's the first thing. That's how you respond to Jezebel. You say, no, I'm on a growth track. I want to grow in my walk with God. Here's the second thing. Repent and receive the power of God. Jesus says this in verse 27. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Again, Jesus is the authority. He's going to return with judgment. And then he says, just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Repent and receive the power of God. If you don't repent, you don't receive the power of God. A lot of people say, oh, I want the power of God. I want to call the shots. I want to do life my way. I want to fit in with the culture. And I want the power of God. Well, it doesn't really work that way. you got to repent to receive the fullness of the power of God in your life. And worship, what is worship? It's when I abandon my will. 
I abandon that steering wheel. I abandon the throne. And I say, Jesus, you're on the throne. That is worship. Worship is not just what song are we singing this week? How much do I like the song? Worship is when I come to Jesus and I say, you are on the throne. You are worthy. I'll follow. You lead. Yes, Lord. Everything I have in him is yours. See, if you don't worship Jesus, you're not going to have the power of Jesus in your life. And the church was playing games. Well, let's get some Jezebel. Let's get some power of God. Can we just do both? And Jesus is saying, no, you really can't do both. So there's this purging and less of me. My friend Micah, uh, he was surfing as a young adult, and he's a great surfer, but he had a tragedy where this wave threw him down into the hard ground of the ocean. And he didn't even know how serious it was. He just remembers getting slammed into the floor of the ocean. And he hit his head so hard that his neck broke. His neck snapped. And he was unconscious. And he was, then the next wave took him out into the water. And his family on the shore was looking around like, where did he go? Where did Micah go? And just screaming and looking everywhere frantically and could not find him. And minutes have gone by now. And they just thought they lost their son. They lost... And then a man down the shore found this body, saw this body floating under the water, and Micah was dead. It had been many, many minutes later. Micah was dead. But this man pulled Micah to shore, and you know they called 911, trying to do CPR. Long story short, God brought Micah back to death, back from death after many minutes rescued his life, kind of like Lazarus in the Bible. He was brought back to life. And Micah said that was the change in his life. That was a defining moment. The worst moment became the defining moment. And Micah made a decision. I've been living for me my whole life. I'm done with that. I'm done with being focused on me and consumed with me and everything's me and it's gotta be about me and I'm at the center all the time. He's like, I'm going for it with Jesus. And that's gonna be my story from now on because every day is a gift. And so Micah now has a ministry called Vapor. And he blesses people in Haiti. And he blesses people in Uganda. And he meets their physical needs. And he meets their spiritual needs. And he meets their needs for community. And he's sold out. He's sold out for that. And he said, what I learned in that moment is that I can either stuff what I know is true and what I know is needed in this world or I will spend the rest of my life doing something about it. And he said, that's what I'm going to do. When I came to know the Lord, I had no clue about Jesus, no clue about the Bible. I was on my way to hell, rebelling against God, till someone told me the good news. And when I put my trust in Jesus through grace, I know I'm going to heaven. If he doesn't give me anything besides heaven, my cup overflows because eternal life with the Lord, that alone, that alone is worthy of praise for eternity. That alone having known the difference between darkness and light, know God and now a relationship with God, I could spend the rest of my life being silent, acting like that's not really a big deal. Just kind of going through the religious motions, keeping a seat warm at church on Sunday morning. I could do that. Or I could say, the rest of my life, I'm going to do something about. Because so many people don't know the word. They don't know God. They don't know Jesus. They don't know the gospel. And I will not be silent. I will tell as many as I can tell that God wants me to. Because I can't stay quiet about something that good. 
and you've got stuff in your life that you know you're called to, you know the goodness of God, and you've been, because Jezebel's taken over, you've just been acting like going through the motions is your calling. You've been acting like that. Now it's time. God wants to wake up the people of God. He wanted to wake up the church in Thyatira. He wants to move. The days are over when we just sit back and go, well, how's the church staff? Okay, are they doing all the work? Great, 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 great. Oh, hey, church staff, could you work harder? Could you do it better, church staff? Oh, church staff, how come you didn't do that? Hey, church staff, why don't you? The days are over in the body of Christ. You know what we need? We need the people of God to rise up with the spirit of God in the land, in the land. You say, well, that kind of starts with attitude, doesn't it? You know, I heard the story, Steve Harvey told this story where he was going through a really hard time, lost his job, just didn't have direction, didn't know what his career would be, and just feeling down in the dumps. And all of us have been there. And this guy, John, would call him up, 5.30 in the morning, John would call up, and Steve would hear his phone ring at 5.30, and he'd pick up the phone, and John would say, hey, Steve, how you doing today? Steve, this is going to be a great day today. And at 5.30, Steve would be like, okay, John, you know, and the call would end. John's calls weren't long, but they were consistent. And the next day at 5.30, John would call Steve and say, Steve, how you doing today? And Steve would be like, yeah, what's up, John? And John would say, Steve, it's going to be a great day today. He did this 37 days in a row while Steve was at a low point in his life. 5.30 every morning. After 37 days, John asked Steve, he said, John said to Steve, when I call you in the morning, I'm just curious, Steve, you always have the same attitude. And Steve's a little bit like, well, you know, things are kind of hard and it's 5.30 in the morning and, you know, I'm not a morning person and all that. And he's like, you always have the same attitude, Steve. And, uh, you know, I'm calling you and every day is the same. It just feels like you're not growing. You're not changing. You're holding on to that same attitude. And Steve, I'm starting to wonder because, Steve, you have so much potential. Steve, you have so many gifts. And, Steve, I'm just wondering why you're holding on to that attitude when it could be so different. I'm kind of thinking that that attitude is maybe linked to your life in some ways right now. And Steve said that just cut right to his heart, that he's got so much potential, but he's got this attitude he's holding on to. So Steve, the next day, set his alarm a little after 5, 525, getting ready. That phone rings and he says, hey, John, how you doing today? John, this is a great day, isn't it? And, 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 and John didn't need to call him anymore after that. Didn't need to call him. But isn't it true when we wake up, we choose an attitude? The Bible says, may your attitude be like that of Jesus. God, I give you thanks today. Today is a gift from you, God. God, you've given me so much. God, I'm trusting you in Ephesians 2.10 that you've laid things in my path today, God, that I can't even see yet. God, I'm trusting you to change lives today. Here I am, God, today. I'm gonna walk with you today, God. That's the Holy Spirit who wants to build you up into peace and joy and love and change some really bad, grumpy attitudes these days. And it starts early in the morning. You know the irony of the whole thing? Steve who's had a whole interesting journey with Jesus. And that's another story. But you know what Steve ended up doing? A morning show in America. Nine million people were listening. And you know what he was doing? 
trying to encourage people every morning in the way that John encouraged him. And when you lead someone to Jesus, you are starting something. When you share God's word and you pray for people, you're starting something. And what they receive and start to change internally, ultimately, we all need the Holy Spirit because we get grumpy, we get impatient, there's division, there's sin. Without the Holy Spirit, we got a bad attitude. Let me just say it. You can love Jesus and without the Holy Spirit have a really consistently bad attitude until God moves in your heart and you realize and you align with God's word and you say, today is a gift. The people around me are a gift. My talents are a gift. My money's a gift. Let's go do something to glorify Jesus together. I'm not sure where we were in the message, but I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, the, the last one is, you know, bravely take a righteous stand and redeem the land. We've got to look at these two right here in Revelation 11, these two people that God raises up. God will always raise up a remnant. He will always strongly support anyone who wants to be faithful to him. He says, I'll appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. That's important. That's three and a half years. We've talked about the seven years of the Great Tribulation. And at three and a half years, look at this, trials Seals, trumpets, and bowls, seven of each, the world experiencing chaos, and these two voices clothed in sackcloth. They are two olive trees and two lampstands. You are a lampstand in this culture. They stand before the Lord of the earth. So there they are publicly, full of love and truth, representing Jesus. What happens? They get killed. Look at this next, Revelation 11, 10 and 12. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them. They are so glad those two Jesus lovers are finally killed. And they will celebrate by sending gifts to each other because the two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. There's conviction that comes when truth is preached. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. Picture this going forward. There's a tribulation, there's chaos. Two people publicly saying yes to Jesus, living for Jesus. They get killed. And you know what happens? The world rejoices. But then CNN's still covering it. They didn't expect this. Three and a half days later, what happens? Those two are alive again, like Lazarus. And you know what happens? They now ascend as God says, come up to heaven. And everyone watches that go down. Two people that are faithful. Would you be faithful in your neighborhood if there's only two that love Jesus? Would you be faithful in your workplace if there's only two that love Jesus? Would you be faithful in your class if there's only two that love Jesus? Would you live for him and trust the results to him? Uh, what is God calling you to do? It's not being a cave. So what is God calling you to do? One thing, you know, this book, Revelation, keeps saying, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. I've just been trying to listen to God through this book. And one thing that he's led me to do, it's not an official church program. Can we all say amen that God often works in the most amazing ways that are not a church program? All right, church programs, great. Praise God for them. Wonderful things that he's doing. But then what else? What is he really leading you to do? And what I sensed this summer is that I was supposed to just go down, um, not big announcements, just go down to uh, the center of Auburn in my mind, which is uh, downtown, the courtyard in front of the city hall. And so Sundays at one, just go down there, kind of the heart of the city, and just pour my heart out to God for the city. And maybe for some of you, it's your prayer closet. Maybe it's with your life group, you're praying more. Maybe it's with, you know, your kids or grandkids, you're praying more. I don't know how God's leading you, but I'll tell you this, it's going to be loving your neighbor. It's going to be praying. 
it's gonna be sharing your faith because the Holy Spirit has always worked that way and always will. Lead you to love your neighbor, lead you to serve people, pray, share your faith, and just listen to God. Don't let Jezebel take over. You listen to God, put your eyes on Jesus, and God's gonna give you courage. The last verse here says, Jesus says, I'll give you the morning star. I say, well, what's that? The devil was a powerful archangel and a fallen star. But Jesus, in Revelation 22, the morning star. Here's your very great reward. It's Jesus. You will never receive a greater reward than Jesus. More closeness with Jesus, more glory to Jesus, in eternity with Jesus, see Jesus face to face. Like there's no greater reward than Jesus. And he says, the morning star, what does that mean? In the bleakest, coldest, darkest part of the night, Jesus rises like a morning star. And when things get cold and bleak and dark, don't hang your head in despair. God is the lifter of your head. Jesus has overcome the grave and he will rise above Jezebel. Jesus, he's gonna completely overcome Jezebel. And your key is abide with Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for a lot of deep stuff in the book of Revelation. And sometimes it gets, uh, creates wonder and awe. Sometimes, uh, Lord, we're overwhelmed at what's coming. And Jesus, I thank you that we can always go back to that place where we trust you and look to you. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness and faithfulness. And I pray for us that we would rise up together out of a cave, stand up together, find our voice. God, listen to you, Jesus. God, give us courage to face Jezebel's lies and give us courage in this culture to trust you and represent you well, humbly, clearly, full of grace, full of truth. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name, amen.